We're going to be in the book of Jude today, as we have, counting this sermon, two more. And so next week, Lord willing, we will finish up the book of Jude and our series here in this short but very, very important letter. It's always amazing how I feel like the English language misses so much that the Greek has to offer. Our words do not cover everything. And so there's so much that Jude writes, and even some words that were introduced into the Greek thanks to this letter and just the importance of it. And so we're going to be in Jude, of course, chapter 1. There's only one chapter, 17 through 21. And this one is called Keep the Faith. Or your Bible might say, a call to persevere in the faith. But the idea is that we keep the faith during these hard times. And let us pray and ask the Lord to be with us during this time. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We do thank you that almost 2,000 years ago, as your son came and died and rose again, that you set up your church through men and women, and then that you called men to write letters to the church that you inspired that became our New Testament, letters that are still as important today as they were written when they wrote them during their times, letters of your word, as Hebrews says, that it pierces all the way to our hearts, to our souls, and it convicts, and it brings those to repentance, and it encourages. And so, Lord, I ask that your word would do that again today, that as we study your word, as we come and to learn from your word, that it would pierce our heart, that it would convict us of our sins, and that it would help us grow to be more like you. Lord, as it was dark when your son went to heaven and the world was full of evil, again, we still stay in that evil world. There's many false teachers, there's many hard things out there that are trying to pull us away. And Lord, I ask that we would keep the faith, that we would persevere in our faith, and that we would follow you to the day that you call us home. In Jesus' name, amen. If you remember the last few sermons, Jude has been very hard on the church for warning against false teachers because how dangerous they are. And he's been very hard on the church because the church allowed them in. Some they allowed welcome in. Some came in under kind of a cloak. They didn't realize they were wolves. But when they started teaching and when they started preaching, the church didn't call them out. And so Jude was addressing. Now he's calling us and encouraging us and the church in our faith. This is an encouraging part in these next few verses. And it's also evangelistic part where he's going to call the church back to the main mission. And so the church is going through a hard time, and he does not want them to give up, and he wants them to keep running the race, not to fall away from the faith or stop being strong in the faith. The church at that time was facing very hard times, like we are facing hard times today. And it was hard to be a Christian during the letter writing of Jude and Paul and many others, and costly. The church was losing properties. The members were losing properties. They were losing their possessions. They were losing their freedoms. And yes, even some of the members were losing their own lives for Christ. They had wolves inside the church that were causing church splits and church wars. And they were watching fellow believers, or so they thought, leave the faith and walk away from their belief in Jesus. Jude is here to encourage them and encouraged to keep living for Jesus, for it is the only thing that can save them from their sin. And church, as we see the times around us grow darker, as we see it it getting worse, we must keep the faith. 
You see, the faith in Jesus is the only thing that can save us from our sins. Nothing else can. We have a sin problem. We are born into sin, and there is nothing good in us. We, at one point, were enemies of God. We were separated from a holy God because of our sins. And we cannot fix our sin problem. Only Jesus can. He was and is the perfect Lamb of God that took the wrath of God upon himself. When we put our faith in Jesus and make him Lord of our lives, we are saved from our sin, not by our work, but Jesus' finished work. This is why faith in Jesus is so important. This is why we should encourage one another to stay in the faith, to read our Bibles, to keep going to church, because Jesus is the only one that can save us. You see, as the days seem to get worse, we should not be surprised, because this leads us to our first point. We are living in the last days. Look at me in Jude, verses 17 through 19. Jude writes, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, In the last times there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause division, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. So you might be asking, how do we keep the faith in the last days? That's what we're living in. We're living in the last days. First, we need to remember that we as Christians are, as Jude says, the beloved. You might be asking, what does that mean? This means those who are loved by God. Those who are loved by God. Now, that's not everyone in this world. That is anyone who has put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. If you have done that, you are one of the beloved. You are one of those loved by God. But again, not everyone is. You see, if you are not saved, then you are still an enemy of God, and the wrath of God is upon you. Those that have asked Jesus to forgive them from their sins and confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior, God's wrath is no longer on you because it was poured out on Jesus on the cross. God does not see you as a sinner, but holy through Christ. We are then seen as God's children whom he favors and loves. You are the beloved of God. We are the beloved of God. And what a great thing to be called, thanks be to Jesus Christ. A second thing that we see here in this section of verses is that we are living in the last days. You might be thinking, but I thought that was supposed to come. I thought that that was we weren't going to be here in the last days, but that's not what Scripture teaches us. You see, the last day started when Christ went back into heaven, and we as the church, we anxiously wait for his return. And Jude is not the only book in the Bible that teaches this. Hebrews chapter 1, chapter 1 verse 2 says this, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Peter in Acts 2.17 says, In the last days it shall be, God declares that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, and on your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Peter is claiming the prophecy of Joel to them when they're speaking in tongues in Acts. When the Holy Spirit came upon them in Pentecost and people thought they were drunk or didn't know what was going on, he said, 
This is what Job prophesied. In the last days, this was happening, and it's happening right now in your midst. Again, Peter says in 1 Peter 1.20, he was foreknown, meaning Jesus, before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. The disciple of John writes in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 19, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Speaking of the people in the church, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been seen of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that I might become plain that they are all not of us. In his commentary on Jude, Tom Schreiner says this, in both 1 Timothy 4.1 and 2 Timothy 3.1, the entrance of the entrance of false teachers is located in the later times and in the last days. In both cases, Paul understands these predictions to be fulfilled in the false teaching troubling the Ephesus church. A connection is likely drawn here where Jude implies that the arrival of judgment of the intruders was prescriptive. As you see, church, we are living in the last days. This is why times are so hard and difficult. The world has been in the last days since Jesus is in heaven and we await his turn. And what Jude is telling all his readers is all the suffering they have to face has to do with the last days, with the last times. That the presence of the false false teachers is thus an indication that the community is living in the last days. But we take heart. This can be heavy to hear, but church, take heart. Know that the times we're living in is just as bad as it was during the early church. And the reasons we face and face so many hard times and trials isn't because that there's something wrong with us or isn't because there's something wrong with going on. This is just what the world is set up for you, according to Jesus. This is just how it is set up to be with the world groaning for, sin, for the coming of Christ and groaning with sin. This is what we're facing. But yet Jesus told us to take heart because he has conquered the world. You see, we can trust in Jesus that through faith, we will overcome the world and live in heaven one day. As Jesus told his disciples about him overcoming the world, and through him, he is the only one. We too know we will overcome the world. Yes, we're going to face trials through our earthly bodies, and maybe one day we might even face the martyr of the sword, as they say. But through Christ, he has overcome it. Remember, as Christ told his disciples, as they hated me, they too will also hate you. But take heart. Take heart, church. We were warned. We knew it's coming. But we have a Savior that they could not put down. They had a Savior that they could not defeat. Satan himself, his head was crushed. That is how we take heart. That is how we keep the faith, is that knowing that this is hard, but Christ is victorious. We are the beloved in Christ, and our Savior is victorious. Now, again, Jude gives warning in verses 18 to 19. Look again with that Jude in verses 18 and 19. He says, And they say to you, In the last times there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. 
Notice it is the false teachers that bring division to the church. They claim to be godly, yet their actions say different. They want the church to be their way or the pastors or the teachers to teach what they want. And they'll do all they can to cause division in the body and even try to lead some of the saints astray. As we run this race, we do not want to get entangled with these people for they will cause us to trip and slow down. And they might even cause some of us to stop running the race altogether. Since we're in the last days, more and more false teachers and wolves will arise. And we need to be on guard and be watchful. We need to look at the fruit of those who claim to be Christians. And what's sad is the false teachers will look good. And they'll come into the church, they'll look good, they'll be clothed in sheep's clothing, as it says. When Paul, Peter, and Jude warned of these false teachers or the wolves, they said that they are among you. They didn't say they were coming. They were warning that they were already there. Meaning they have crept in unnoticed. So we must be diligent. We must be watchful. This is why it's important to know the Bible, to read it. Because when we see someone's actions, words, or teachings that does not match up with the Bible, we as the church need to call them out. You as a church need to call them out. It is the church's job, the body's job, to watch out for the false teacher. It is all our jobs. If you notice in Ephesians and Jude, he never calls out and says the pastors or the elders or the Sunday school teachers or that. He calls out the church. The church body is to be watchful. The church body is to do church discipline when false teachers come across. The church body is to get rid of the wolves. It is the church's job. And this is why we need to be in the word. This is why we need to call out false teachers. This is why we need to keep strong in the faith through reading the word and prayer, which leads us to point two, persevere in your faith. Would you look at me at verses 20 and 21? Jude writes, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So now Jude is going to turn this corner and going to talk about not false teachers, but encouraging the body. And first off, he talks about how we will not grow in our faith if we do not spend time with God. We do this by reading his word, by praying, by hearing his word preach. It is our spiritual food. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, he writes, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So the apostles, those apostles, those that had seen Jesus, those who saw him live, those who saw him die, and those saw him rise again, that's what the qualifications of being apostles. We don't have any new apostles today because none of us are seeing the risen Lord. If we were gonna see the risen Lord, the whole entire world would see the risen Lord, the way scriptures make it. And so as Apostle Paul said, he was the last apostle, Even Jude doesn't call himself an apostle, and he saw the risen Lord. Jesus gave the apostleship to only a certain few, and Paul was the last. He set it up with them. But what did they teach? They laid the first foundation of the church on Jesus Christ's teachings. The apostles showed us how we should live the Christian life and how we should have church. The reason why we don't teach from any other book than the Bible is because it's the only thing that can help us and can help us grow. 
the apostles devoted themselves to Jesus' teaching. We find those in the first four Gospels. Those are the teachings of Jesus. Yes, there's more, as John says, that they could have filled every library and every book in the world at that time and still couldn't record everything that Jesus did. But what God wanted us to know, what the Holy Spirit wanted us to know, is in the first four Gospels. Those are the teachings. That's what the apostles kept teaching over and over in the church, Jesus' teachings. And what's great is that Jesus used the apostles' letter writings to the church, which if you think about it, Jude and Paul and John and Peter and the writer of Hebrews, they didn't know what they were writing was going to one day be in the Bible. Apostle Paul wrote more than 13 letters. He encouraged more than the 13 letters we have here. But the Lord said, these 13 are going to make up my New Testament. He used the apostles to give us our New Testament. If we had church with no Bible teaching or worship, we would not grow. If we just hung out and talked to one another for a couple of hours, it would not help us spiritually. We need the Bible in song and in teaching, and not just on Sunday. This is why it's important to get regular Bible reading and study throughout the week. So how is the first day that believers remain in God's love? By continuing to grow in their understanding of the gospel. By understanding the teachings that were handed down to us. And that this faith is the most holy. Why? Because it comes from a holy God. And Christian growth occurs through the mind as believers grow in their understanding of God's word and of the Christian truth. Now, Jude did not think that the growth occurred mystically or mystery. Instead, believers experience God's love as the understanding of the faith increases. And that's it. That's what this phrase. If you think about five, 10 years ago, you have grown more today than you did five or 10 years ago. And if you look, you should be seeing yourselves growing. We don't always understand the Bible. We don't always have it all figured out. We can't just read all 66 books and say, great, it's done. It's not like an American history book. It's not like a, a science textbook. We have to continue reading it, continue growing. That's why it's good that maybe, yes, you've heard the same passage preached multiple times or you've read it, but each time, because it's a living word, an active word, it helps us grow. So we continue to study this book. The next thing Jude says is pray in the Holy Spirit. And I can raise some questions like, what does Jude mean to pray in this Holy Spirit? How does one do that? Well, the first thing Jude is meaning here is that we need to be praying. You might be, might be saying, well, yeah, that's simple, but there are a lot of Christians who don't pray. There are a lot of Christians that do not think prayer is important. Or there is a debate that which one's more important, Bible reading or prayer? Charles Spurgeon was asked this question, what was more important? And he returned and asked another question. What is more important, breathing in or breathing out? We need to breathe in and out to live and stay with our spiritual life. We need both Bible reading and prayer. I've heard people who say, well, I don't read the Bible that much, but I pray a lot. They're missing out. Or vice versa. I've heard people say, well, I'm not that good of a prayer warrior, but I read a lot of God's word. You're missing out. You've got to have both in your Christian walk. We both need to be reading God's word and praying. Well, the first thing we do is start by praying. Praying in the Holy Spirit is praying for the Lord's will to be done, not our own. And the Holy Spirit will help us with that. We can come to the throne of God boldly, thanks be to Jesus. Think about this. As soon as you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit came to live inside you. 
So that means you can come before God boldly. You should be going to God boldly in prayer. Another great thing that we know about praying in the Holy Spirit is it intercedes for us when we pray. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning, too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit incedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the Holy Spirit will make us more like Christ so that as we pray, the Holy Spirit works on us and we pray more in God's will instead of our own. As we pray, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us and makes us more like Christ. It chips away at the old flesh. This is why Paul talks about that there's a battle inside Christians, the flesh versus the spirit. And they war at each other. And they fight with each other. The old flesh says, no, I want to give in the sin. I want to go my own life. And the spirit brings conviction and says, no, you need to be more like Christ and follow the teachings of Christ. And it's a war inside believers. But when we pray, we're strengthening and helping ourselves to resist the flesh and to be listening to the spirit, to letting the spirit get rid of that sin, get rid of that old temptation and to fight against it. Prayer is another way we become more like Christ. Well, it's the one thing the disciples asked Jesus, not how to teach like he did, not how to perform miracles like he did, but to how to pray like he prayed. Christ got away from the busy crowds and prayed. Christ got alone and prayed. And this is God praying to God. Jesus realized that he as the son needed fellowship with the father. And he prayed. When it was getting ready for his death, and the suffering that he was about ready to partake, this bitter cup, as he called it. What did he do in the garden? He prayed. When Peter boldly said, oh, I won't, I won't get tempted, Jesus. I'll die for you. What did Jesus tell him to do? Pray. Because Satan wants to tempt you and sift you like we. Pray that you're strengthened. He asked his disciples in the garden to pray with him. If we look at Jesus, he saw how important and powerful prayer was and that we need to be like our Savior and pray. One of the reasons we pray is so that the love of God can be going through us because we cannot have a love, we cannot be in God's love if we don't have a relationship with him. And such a relationship is nurtured by prayer. Verse 21 says, keep yourself in God's love. Now you might be asking, how do we do that? Can we lose God's love? Can we wake up one day and God not love us anymore? That would go against everything that's been taught in the Bible. That would go against Romans 8.39 that says, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But we as humans can pull ourselves away from God. We can go to things that put a barrier between God and us. Now, this does not mean that we are not saved. But sin will cause a blockage or barrier with our relationship with God. Sin will cause you not to read the Bible, to pray, or to go to church. To stay in God's love means that we, means that we find that when we sin, and we will sin, because we will not stop sinning on this side of glory, but when we sin, that we run to God and ask for forgiveness. We confess our sins to him. We ask for forgiveness to those that we have hurt in the church or outside the church. We say, hey, I'm sorry I did this. I'm sorry I messed up. 
No, this is what Jesus died for. God is not sitting there angry that you sinned. He knew you were going to sin. But go to him and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I messed up. And if you're addicted to a certain type of sin, then you need to ask help from the body. You need to get help. That's what we're here for because we all struggle. We all sin. This life is not easy. That's why we have the local church. And so when we're caught up in the entanglements of this world, we run to God and ask for help. And we run to the church and say, I need help. We also should avoid things that bring us into sin or bring us into temptation. We must pray that we resist temptation and flee from sin. Tom Schreiner states, the promise that God will keep his own does not nullify the responsibility of believers to persevere in the faith. God keeps his own, yet believers must keep themselves in God's love. Jude represents well the biblical tension between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. On one hand, the believers only avoid apostate because of, God's, because of the grace of God. And on the other hand, the grace of God does not cancel out the need for believers to exert all their energy to remain in God's love. A true Christian will never be okay with their sin. A true Christian will never be okay with sin. Instead, their sin should drive them to the cross and to their knees. When we sin, we should begin quick to repent to God. Repentance is not a bad thing. Repentance is not something we should look down on. Jesus gave us repentance. It's the only thing that we have that's go to God and say, I'm sorry. He knows we're gonna mess up. He already knows what we're gonna do. Run to him, repent. This shows true Christian love for God. And when we repent to others and say, I'm sorry, we're sinned, this shows true Christian love for others. In verse 21b, it says we need to remember Christ's mercy. Again, this goes back to why do we need to remember Christ's mercy? Can we lose our salvation? No, and Jude holds on to that. We've seen that before, and we're gonna see that next week as he talks about how we are held in Christ's hand. But we need Christ's mercy daily in our lives. We need to be reminded of it. We need to remind that true Christians will not face Christ's judgment. You will not be judged All of your judgment was poured out on Jesus on that cross. Think back to the cross and the story of the crucifixion. It turned dark. And what did Jesus yell out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that time, the sins of the world were poured upon the Holy Lamb of God. Jesus Christ, perfect, never do anything wrong, took the sins of the world upon his body. The wrath of God was being poured out and God had to turn his back on his son. That was yours and my judgment. That was the past judgment and the future judgment's coming. That was our sin. The sin you did yesterday, the sin you're gonna do today and the sin you're gonna do tomorrow. That was poured upon Christ. Do not hear me wrong, the cross was a horrible suffering. The way the Romans set up the cross, it was a horrible, horrible form of torturing. And Jesus Jesus went through brutal, brutal torture. But I think the worst torture that Jesus faced was God turning his back on him and suffering with the sin. You realize as a Christian, you'll never face that? You'll never know what that feels like. Those that are in hell now, they know what that feels like. That was more painful to Jesus than the nails, the whip, the crown of thorns, God breaking that relationship because of sin. 
That was poured out for you and I. So we as Christians, that's what the blood comes upon you and wash you white as snow. You are not going to face that judgment because it was already poured out. If we say that we have to face judgment again, then we say the cross wasn't enough. Then we say the cross was weak, that the cross didn't satisfy God. That's not true. It tells us it fully satisfied God. So we as Christians will not face judgment, but mercy, Christ's mercy. It's also our mind not to be a part of this world and the flesh, to stay away from the pleasures and the deeds of the world. Why? Because Christ died to set us free from that lifestyle. He gave us mercy. We should be longing for the day that the Lord returns. We should be crying out, Lord, come quickly. When that mercy will truly be shown to all those who call upon his name. You see, this world is not our home. The United States is not our home. Missouri is not our home. We long for the day when Christ comes back to set all things right. And we are at home with him. Where Christ is, that is the believer's home. Heaven is our home with God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And all the believers of ages past and ages to come, if the Lord so wills it. That is our home. And we should hope for the day when Jesus comes back and his mercy is truly seen. So we don't grasp Christ's mercy truly. Not until we stand before him. Not until we stand before him white as snow righteous and holy. We see the nail-pierced hands. We see our Savior face to face. Oh, what a glorious day. Then we'll realize what a great mercy my God showed to me. What a great compassionate Savior that I have who loved me and gave himself for me. Then we will see mercy. But we also should remember that this, about this mercy and show it to other believers and non-believers. This leads us to point three, snatch the dying from hell, verses 22 through 23. Jude writes, and I have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by flesh. So first off, as he continues on to the theme of mercy, Jude says we are to have mercy on those who doubt. There are those in the Christian faith that will have doubts. They will doubt if Jesus is truly the Savior, or they will doubt their own salvation. Jude is writing to a church where false teachers had caused all kinds of turmoil, issues, war, divisions, and there were some Christians who were saved who started to doubt. Am I believing the right thing? Am I following the right person? You gotta remember, not everybody saw Jesus. We don't know where Jude is writing to, but these believers could be hearing, like Paul had to deal with in Thessalonians, that, well, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. Jesus really wasn't the true savior. They're just trying to lead you astray. They started doubting, started wondering. And Jude says, have mercy on them, not judge them. For if they judge them, they could push them away from the faith. The same to be with us today. There are many wolves out there teaching. Unfortunately, they, they claim to be Christians and you can go to Christian bookstores and it drives me nuts most under the Christian living or Christian teaching, the books are full of false teachers. CBN, the Christian news channel, you turn it on, or the Christian broadcasting channel, you turn it on, and usually one channel after another channel after another channel are false teachers. And all their teaching is to confuse the believers, to lead those astray. 
Their churches are filled full of the brims. They got campuses popping all over the place. And yet all they're doing is confusing and bringing turmoil to the church. So when we encounter believers who doubt, we need to be kind and walk with them. Help answer their questions. Study the scriptures with them. Bring them back to the Bible. Show them how we can know that Jesus is the only way to the Father, how Jesus truly was and is alive. Bring them back in love and compassion. You see, if we cast stones at them or if we judge them, they could leave the church altogether and feel even more hopeless. So we must remember the mercy that Jesus has shown to us and show it to others especially those who are part of the family of God, who are brothers and sisters in Christ. This is loving one another as Christ has loved us. And we are to to keep showing that love even to those who are not saved and even to those who follow after the false teachers. Look at me with verse 23a. And Jude writes, Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Now, this does not mean we reach down into hell and save them, but we warn them. We tell them that the path they're going on will lead to hell. Jude's language reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from Spurgeon I actually have in my office and I have on my desktop. And Spurgeon writes to his church, actually he preaches to his church. This is what Charles Spurgeon said. If a sinner be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. Boy, he called the church to evangelize. What beautiful pictures that the church is standing at the gates of hell as a blockade trying to keep those from going in. And unfortunately, there are some people who really want to go down that path. But we just don't open the gates and say, go. We warn. We try to stop them. We warn them and we pray for them. There's nothing more unloving than you not telling someone about hell. If you say you love someone, then you should be telling them about Jesus Christ's mercy. This is the job of the church. Not just a couple or a few members, But all of us who have put faith in Jesus Christ, we ought to be warning others about hell until we die. I'll never forget our dear member, Shirley Roach. As we were talking her last time, she said, would there be family members who are not saved at my funeral and my graveside? I pray for them that they would be saved at the message of the gospel. Battling cancer, with her last breath, she prayed this is the members this is what the church members are to be doing the mission of the church is to make disciples by teaching them the teachings of Jesus and telling others what Jesus did for them if we are not doing this then we are failing as a church but there is grace and mercy since we are still here Jesus has not come back you have not passed away we can repent We all have failed at this. We can repent and start telling others about Jesus. This can be done in all sorts of ways, but we must be doing it. Who knows, the Lord might use you to help snatch a person out of the fires of hell. 
Now, there could be those that you tell about Jesus and you never see them come to salvation, but you don't know what seeds you have planted. You don't know how you have helped in their salvation. Do not give up. Because like Paul said, I water and Apollos planted. You never know what you're doing for the gospel. We must be faithful sowers and never stop sowing the seeds of the gospel in people's lives. Now, the last people Jude addresses in verse 23b, and Jude says, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by flesh. Now, these are the false teachers. These are the ones living in sin and cheering it on. Kind of sounds like people in our country. They approve of sin, and they want the church to prove it also. These are the ones Jude warned about in the verses before and said to watch out for them. Even false teachers and those deeply entangled in sin need to hear the gospel. We need to show mercy to them, but watch out for their sins. Do not approve of their sin. Do not get entangled in their sin. We do not hate them, but their sins. That is what the garments are that are filthy. It's the flesh. It's their deeds. It's nasty. It's unclean in the Jewish eyes. It's ceremonially unclean. So these things are full as the way the commentaries make it and the way the Greek words, I'm saying that here we have filthy, but the Greek word, it brings it out that they're covered basically in manure. They're unclean, but show mercy, but have fear of their deeds. Do not mess with their deeds. There's many people who think they have to do sin to talk to those that are sinning. No, Jesus say, stay away from that, but still warn them. Still tell them of the gospel. Still love them enough to say, my friend, do you realize Jesus died for you? Do you realize that your lifestyle is gonna send you to hell? Let me tell you of the gospel. That is love. Also, he says, warn us because it will look good to us and we will be tempted to join them. Sin is dangerous and we cannot approve of it or of those doing it. We must cry out against it, but in a loving way and tell them of the great mercies of Jesus. For only Jesus can wash these filthy garments white as snow. And do not forget that at one point in your life, you had these filthy garments on before Jesus saved you. You were entangled in sin before the Holy Spirit convicted you and you cried out to Jesus for salvation. It was only Jesus' blood that made us white as snow and what a great mercy Jesus showed to us. Think back to the time you were converted. That day that you cried out. Somebody obeyed Jesus and told you about the gospel and you were saved. How thankful we should be for those people. I am thankful that my parents taught me about Jesus. It was because of their faithful teaching that I'm here today. It was because my mom and dad read to me as a child, had movies on about Jesus, prayed over me. We did Bible studies. And at a young age, I asked Jesus to save me from my sins. If it was not for my parents, who knows when I would have been saved, if saved. But they took the commandments of the Lord to raise up godly children to teach us the scriptures. So I'm thankful for them. As Jude tells us to show mercy to those who are lost, we need to do that daily. 
We do that by praying for the lost. And remember Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38. Then Jesus said to the disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Church, we are the laborers. Jesus is the harvester, but we are the laborers by planting the seed of the gospel, by watering and praying. Praying that God will make a way for you to tell those that are lost about Jesus. Praying that the lost will be convicted of their sins and that they will ask Jesus to save them. Now take heart, church. If you tell someone about Jesus and they do not listen, as it happens a lot, as it's happened with me, it is not your fault. We do not save people. Only Jesus can. We are his messengers, and we are to proclaim his message faithfully in kindness and love. As Jude encouraged his church, I want to encourage you that as the days seem to grow more and more evil, know that Jesus is in control, and he will one day come back. But until he comes back, we need to show mercy to those doubting in the faith and those lost in the sins. So today, during our time of commitment, cry out to Jesus. Cry out in thankfulness for that person, maybe that mom, that dad, that grandparent, that stranger, that Sunday school teacher, that pastor, that missionary who told you about Jesus, and that that day, that day of your salvation, the Holy Spirit convicted you. Be thankful for those that planted the seeds in your life. It wasn't the first time my parents told me that I became a Christian. It wasn't the second. I don't know how many times it was before I finally repented, but I'm thankful they kept it going. So be thankful for all the people in your life that prayed for you, that told you, that kept planting those seeds. And then pray for the lost. Pray for a burden for the lost. There are dying lost people right here in Davies County. 9,000 people. How many do you think don't know Jesus today? Our town of 1,700, just in the town alone, I know there's people outside of it. How many people do you think do not know Jesus today? We could tell them about Jesus. Tell him what he did on the cross and proclaim him daily until he comes back and makes all things right. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for your mercy. Your mercy on the cross that without it, none of us would be here. Lord, I could not save myself. I could not make myself white as snow. My garments were filthy. They were nasty. But thanks be to your blood, you washed me and made me anew. Thanks to the Holy Spirit convicting me of my sins, I cried out to you because of faithful parents, faithful Sunday school teachers, faithful grandparents who planted the seed. Lord, I thank you for them. Lord, there's many people in this room who have similar stories. Someone told them about you and they asked you to say to them, thank you for your new mercies. Let us not forget those mercies, Jesus. Let us not forget the cross that you died for the sins of the world. And Lord, let us take this message. Let us go boldly and proclaim it in love and mercy to a dying, lost town, county, and world. In Jesus' name, amen.